My name is Pastor Nell. I'm from Ceres, California. That's where I pastor. And the name of this presentation is entitled Outside Adventism, Ellen White Exposed. Now, if you walked in here and you probably thought to yourself, is this an Adventist presentation? I want to show you it is. I saw a few people come in. They stopped. They looked at that uh, PowerPoint presentation. And I think they, they walked out shortly after. Maybe they thought that this was some other kind of presentation. But I want to assure you, this is very much an Adventist presentation. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. And God, we know knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. We just want to pray that this would be more than knowledge. But God, this would teach us how to reach out to others and share the beautiful things you have given to us. Father, we pray and ask that... You would show us great and mighty things which we do not know, as it says in Jeremiah 33, verse 3. And Lord, we pray by the end of this meeting, we will know you have truly been with us and that this time has been productive. We ask that you would maximize this time with the Holy Spirit. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, can everybody hear me okay? Okay, very good. Very good. Is there a little bit of an echo on this or is it just my voice? Okay. I don't know where the AV people are. Huh? So, okay, it's good then? Okay, very good. Outside Adventism, Ellen White Exposed. I was actually gonna name this a different title, but when I was going online doing some research, I really love this because when you go to an anti-Ellen White website, this is what you'll find right here. Something like this. And oftentimes you look at it and you just think to yourself, what in the world is this all about? Well, what this is seminar is going to be, it's going to be an apologetic seminar, a presentation on the defense of why Ellen White should be really, really considered by the world. Amen? Amen. You're going to really love this presentation. This is going to be a unique angle in presenting Ellen G. White. You know, when it comes right down to it, there are many leaders within Adventism that I really admire. Can can you name one leader besides Ellen White who you have high regards for within Adventism in the very beginning when this church started? Lothboro. What else? Bates. Anybody else? How about you? Neil Wilson. Wilson. Anybody else? Andrews. You know, when I went to Weimar College, I'll tell you this, one of my favorite classes was actually church history. I was born and raised a Hindu. I also come from a Sikh background. I became an Adventist 13 years ago. But when I started to go to school, Adventist school, from 2003-2004, I fell in love with church history. All those great stories. Anybody have one of those CDs where you can listen to the, the pioneer stories? They're very uh, suspenseful, aren't they? Very dramatic. You feel like you're right there with them. But when it comes down to many of the leaders, the one I definitely respect above all the Adventist leaders was Ellen G. White. Now, the reason why I'm very fond of her writings is not just what the writings are communicating. was because I was actually born and raised a Hindu, as I said. One of the very first things that I read in the Spirit of Prophecy was not only the great controversy, but providentially, I was also given Testimonies Volume 9. Now, the reason why Testimonies Volume 9 is very important is because Ellen White is actually dealing with pantheism. Do you guys know what pantheism is? What's pantheism? It's the teaching that God is in everything, right? That God is impersonal. God is in this table. God is in the ground. God is in your shoe. God is your shoe. And 
And Ellen White was actually addressing this heresy of pantheism when it came down to uh, Harvey Kellogg, John Harvey Kellogg. But for me, coming out of Hinduism, I really was still formulating my picture of who God was. And when I was reading volume 9, I was so blown away as I began to understand more and more the relation of God and nature. Those are two distinct categories. Amen? God is not nature, but God's signature is upon nature. And so this helped me to understand more and more the character of God. And as I began to read her writings, I was blown away. You know, a lot of people ask themselves the question, wait a minute, is there going to be another prophet? Now I'm going to ask you a question right now. Is there going to be another prophet before the second coming? Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to ask that question one more time. Is there going to be another prophet before the second coming of Jesus? Yes. Wow, we got a mixed scoop here. Well, what does Joel chapter 2 tell us? That the Spirit of God will be poured upon His people in last days, and what will take place? Visions and dreams will take place. Now, when it comes down to this, this is, I believe, a good understanding for us to have. As far as a major prophetic leader, I do not believe we're going to have one. Okay? And I'm really basing it upon this powerful quotation right here in First Selected Messages. Ellen White says this, Abundant light has been given to our people in these, what? Last days. Whether or not my life is spared, my writings will constantly, what? And their work will go forward as long as time shall last. That means all the way to the time of the second coming. These writings are going to be very important. Amen? My writings are kept on file in the office, and even though I should not live, these words that have been given to me by the Lord will still have life and will still speak to the people. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the purpose of another prophet if we are not reading what's been given to us already? Amen? We're told very special, in a very specific way that these writings are going to go all the way to the time of the second coming. And if there ever is a time to understand these writings, it's now. Can you say amen to this? Now, this is very interesting. In Numbers chapter 12, there's a very interesting story. It's the story of Moses' sister. What was her name? Miriam. Miriam. She was actually making fun of Moses' wife. And she had a big problem with Moses' wife, and it was because she was what? She was dark-skinned. Miriam was actually cursed with leprosy, which turned her white. And it was a lesson on racism. It really was a lesson on racism. And God made it very clear who was a genuine prophet in all of Israel. In fact, look what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 10. But since then there has not what? Arisen in Israel a prophet like who? Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. Notice that key wording right there. Has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. Matthew chapter 11 verse 7 through 9 says this about John the Baptist. Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has what? Not risen one greater than John the Baptist. And by the way, let me ask you a question. What was another name for John the Baptist? Elijah. Elijah, what else? What else was he called? The voice in the wilderness. Very good. He was called something else. The what? The lesser light. What else? 
He was called the messenger of God. Do you know Ellen White says something about her actual function? She says this right here. Those who boldly assume that they are prophets in these days, in this day, are often a reproach to the cause of Christ. My work includes much more than this name signifies. I regard myself as a what? Messenger. And who else in the Bible is called the messenger, ladies and gentlemen? John the Baptist. Entrusted by the Lord with messages for his people. My commission embraces the work of a prophet, but it does not end there. It embraces much more than the minds of those who have been sowing seeds of unbelief can comprehend. Now let me ask you a question. What does Moses, John the Baptist, and Ellen White have in common? Raise your hand. This is going to be a class. What does Moses, John the Baptist, and Ellen White have in common? Yes, sir. Well, their, their, definitely, their roles was much more than a prophet. Very good. How about you? Saw God face to face. They, they had a very special encounter with God face to face. What else? They had to lead a people. They had to lead a people. Did you guys get that? Moses had to call the people out of Egypt. John the Baptist was preparing people for who? Jesus, right? And Ellen White was part of the movement that helped come out of Babylon. You want to know what, what else is very interesting? Moses, on the border of the promised land, did not go into the promised land. John the Baptist, he, he preached all the way to the time of Jesus and was executed. Ellen White talked about the second coming of Jesus, but she did not live until the time of the second coming. Every one of these leaders led a group of people right down to the borders of the promised land, but they themselves perished. And it's very interesting when you see the similarities that exist. This helps us to understand more and more of Ellen White's role. God raised this woman up as a leader. Not the primary leader, but a powerful leader of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. She is not a vegetarian Virgin Mary. Can you say amen to that? She is a powerful leader who God raised up, much like Moses and much like John the Baptist, to do a powerful work. Here's some very interesting points on Ellen White. A lot of people do not know these facts. During her ministry, Ellen G. White wrote more than 100,000 pages, a total of more than 25 million words. The text most often referred to in Ellen White's writings is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. She mentions it 264 times. The text refers to Christians as the what? Light of the world. You are the light of the world. One of Ellen White's favorite hymns was Win Peace Like a River. By the way, what's another title for that hymn? It is well. It is well with my soul. Amen? She always asked for it when attending Hillsborough College, Colorado. Ellen White's favorite dishes were baked corn souffle, tomatoes, and macaroni. Tiny, tiny mustard greens cooked. By the way, if you go to the Ellen White States, you know what you're going to find? There on the Thanksgiving menu, chocolate cake. That's right. Chocolate cake. Now, if there are any health reformers here, you're probably going to persecute me. But I'm just telling you the facts. Here's another peculiar point. Ellen G. White's last known writing is the letter entitled The Victorious Life. She wrote this letter on June 14, 1914, and you may well read it in her book Testimonies to Ministers 516. This letter is a message overflowing with hope and assurance for Christians. Can you say amen to that? Ellen White was a lover of animals. Arthur White wrote that she knew how to feed and treat animals with affection. She abhorred any practice that brought pain or discomfort to animals, and she had firm words of disapproval for anyone who misused a horse or abused a cow. Now you got a way to connect to Ellen White to animal activist. Amen? Grace White 
granddaughter of Ellen White stated that her Mrs. White was a buoyant person. Never did we feel under a strain or stress in her presence. Amen? Very godly woman. She had deep blue gray eyes that were kind and alert. She looked at us with love. Amen? Amen? Very interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, God has given us these beautiful red books, or as one minister said, the unread books, <laughs> right? And these books have made a difference all over the world. You want to know what's very interesting? When you actually take a good look at other so-called prophets. Now, this is a very interesting point. Let's take Joseph Smith, for example. Joseph Smith not only impacted Mormonism, but that's actually all he impacted. Now, the reason I bring that up is because when you take a good look at major prophets in the Old Testament and into the New Testament, they not only impacted Israel, they impacted the whole world. You take a good look at the ministry of Moses, right? Moses not only impacted Israel, but he impacted Egypt, and the nations understood more about the ministries of Moses, including Jethro. Do you remember that? You take a good look at John the Baptist. Even Herod the king wanted to know more about God through John the Baptist. You take a good look at major prophets. They not only affected Israel, but they affected all those outside of Israel. Can you say amen to that? And when you take a good look at the ministry of Ellen G. White, Jesus says something so powerful. He says, by their fruits you shall know them and I think that's very powerful when you consider the ministry of Ellen G. White that she not only impacted Adventism but much outside Adventism whose effects are still being felt today in fact major health movements find at the root of them the writings of Ellen G. White look what Jesus says as a very interesting apologetic on whether to how to find out if someone's a genuine prophet or a false prophet. Matthew chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. Beware of what? False prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous what? Wolves. And by the way, what's the difference between a false prophet and a false Christ? None. Oh, there's a difference. Huh? Okay, anybody else? What's the difference between a false prophet and a false Christ? We're in class, ladies and gentlemen. Professor Kanda's here. Huh? Okay. So what's a false prophet? It's different. Okay, very good. One claims to be God or the Messiah, and one claims to speak about God and the Messiah. And that's a very interesting point, and the distinguishment is actually there. Look what Jesus says. You will know them by their what? Fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears what? Good fruit, and a bad tree bears what? Bad fruit. By the way, what did Jesus curse right before he was crucified? The fig tree, right? And the fig tree represented who? Israel. Israel was supposed to be that tree that was supposed to feed the entire world. So when you take a good look at Ellen G. White's ministry, you actually find that she passes this criteria. Not only did she impact Adventism, but she impacted the entire world. Where you take a good look at other so-called prophets, and they only generally affect those within the religious denomination. In fact, what you're going to be learning about is powerful things about 
about Ellen G. White right here. Prophetess, messenger of the Lord, Adventist prophet, spirit of prophecy, SOP, Sister White, Mrs. White, E.G. White, E.G. White, Auntie Ellen, you name it. This woman has been addressed by many names and titles that a new language could be formed with all the distinct lingo. Adventists have known her through her writings, through her many books, through sermons, through studies, and through the fruits of her labor. But another question is, how did and how does the outside world perceive her writings? What happens when sincere, honest, non-Adventist folks come into contact with Ellen White? God sends prophets to his church for many reasons. But what about someone who was more than just a prophet? How does the world receive someone like that? Does anybody know who William Foxwell Albright is? If you are interested in archaeology, this man is one, was considered one of the most premier archaeologists of all time. And here are the reasons why. He lived from 1891 to 1971. He was America's and perhaps the world's foremost archaeologist in the 20th century. He earned his PhD from John Hopkins University at the age of 25. And during the next 50 years, he received 25 honorary doctorates from colleges, universities, seminaries, of Protestant, Roman Catholic, and Jewish faith. He wrote more than 800 publications on archaeology, the Bible, Eastern subjects, and by the way, right now the evangelical Christian world absolutely 100% still respects his material. Look what he said. In 1950s, one of his doctrinal candidates at John Hopkins, the late Alger Johns, introduced Albright to Ellen White's writings. His curiosity piqued, the famous archaeologist undertook his own investigation of the life, work, and claims of Ellen White, and in his book, From Stone Age to Christianity, Albright named Mrs. White, now watch this, as one of five individuals whom he considered to be authentic prophets during the past 250 years. Now, I don't believe the other four were actual prophets, by the way. <laughs> but here's somebody who was not an Adventist, who never was an Adventist, and yet he is saying right now, when I, he actually said, when I take a good look at the spirit of prophecy, this woman absolutely has to be a prophet. It's very interesting. When you go on all the anti-LMG white websites, one thing you will find consistently over and over again is that they tend to be former Adventists. You know what I mean? Yes. And there's some type of deep-seated problem there. You know, if I stop being an Adventist, I am not going to spend my life, resources, and communication abilities to attack Adventism unless I have some deep emotional issue there. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand something. When you take a good look in the outside world, they have a great respect for this woman. Florence B. Stratmeyer, who is one of the premier people on education, she actually spoke before a group of Seventh-day Adventist teachers. So she did some research. And in her speech, she actually took a good look at the book Education. Look what she says right here. By the way, this woman is not an Adventist. Recently, the book Education by Ellen G. White has been brought to my attention. Written at the turn of the century, this volume was more than 50 years ahead of its time. And I was surprised to learn that it was written by a woman with but three years of schooling. The breadth depth of its philosophy amazed me. Its concepts of balanced education, harmonious development, and of thinking and acting on principles are advanced educational concepts. The, objection, the objective of restoring man, in man the image of God, the teaching of parental responsibility, and the emphasis on self-control in child, children are ideals that the world desperately needs. Can you say amen to that? Look what else she 
she said right here. Mrs. White did not necessarily use current terms. In fact, she did not use the word curriculum in her writing. But the book education in certain parts treats of important curriculum principles. She was concerned with the whole learner, the harmonious development of mental, physical, and spiritual powers. Today, many are stressing the development of the intellect, but feelings and emotional development are equally important. In our changing society, the ability to act on thought and in terms of principles is central. It is this harmonious development that is so greatly needed, yet so generally neglected today. I am not surprised that members of the SDA church hold the writings of Miss White in great respect and make them central in developing the educational program in their schools. Could that be said true today? Ladies and gentlemen, you have people who are not Adventists, yet coming across the writings of Ellen G. White and are blown away by the understanding that this woman actually had. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, I'll try to pronounce this name. Professor Sunchiki Mizuno of Japan's Tamagawa University and formerly head of Tokyo's Museum of Science and Director of Social Education for the Japanese Ministry of Education recommended education to parents, teachers, and students. He called it most profitable reading in our understanding of new education. Education written with this inspired pen of Ellen G. White has for 50 years, some years, has been a well-known book which has rendered the greatest possible service and joy to students, teachers, and parents the world over. When I was studying at the University of Illinois, it was my privilege to read this book, read the book in its original language. I was profoundly moved by the book, and at that time, it has been my desire ever since to recommend it to educators in Japan. It is my sincere joy to hear that the book has finally been translated into the Japanese language. Can you say amen to that? And this book, by the way, was being promoted, it promoted amongst in the school districts in Japan because of how this man was moved and touched by the writings of Ellen G. White. Amen? This is funny. This is found, by the way, in William Spicer's book called The Spirit of Prophecy in the Advent Movement. The Minister of Education of a Southern European country, he keeps it unnamed, has been studying at Teachers College, Columbia University. He had come to the U.S. for the best in educational policy and program of his newborn state. Upon his return to Southern Europe, keeps the country anonymous, he authored a book on religious and moral education. It was written in the Serbian language, published by the State University Press, and acclaimed by the institution as the best book, watches on religious education in that language. When Adventist church leaders in Serbia read the book, book work, they recognized it immediately. It was a translation of Ellen White's education. With an introduction written by the Serbian Minister of Education, 80% of the new book came directly from Ellen White's pen. Now who's a plagiarist? <laughs> the brother, he took the book education, changed the cover, put his own intro on it, and passed it off. Yet many people who were unbiased and unprejudiced came across those writings, and they were so blown away until it got into the hands of an Adventist. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't use these writings properly, someone else will. Amen? You guys know about this man, Paul Harvey? 1960, American Broadcasting Company news commentator, United Feature Syndicated Columnist. By the way, did Paul Harvey ever become a Seventh-day Adventist? Never did. But he was attending a Seventh-day Adventist church at the end of his life. 
A United Features syndicated columnist wrote a 16-paragraph article featuring Ellen White. It began, Once upon a time, 100 years ago, there lived a young lady named Ellen White. She was frail as a child, completed only grammar school. Actually, she never finished the third grade. Had no technical training, and yet she lived to write scores of articles and many books on the subject of healthful living. Remember, this was in the days when doctors were still bloodletting, performing surgeries with unwashed hands. This was in an era of medical ignorance bordering on barbarism. By the way, Let's pause right here. I have another presentation that I did recently called Sabbath and Atheism. Ellen White gives five distinct quotes where she says, if the Sabbath was actually kept the way that it should have, there would be no atheists in the world today. Now I believe that 100%, amen? But I never made the connection. How does the removal of Sabbath lead to atheism? I should just go tell you, listen to the presentation on you, I'm not going to tell you real quickly. In the early church, when they removed the Sabbath, Siegfried Tonsted writes about this. When they removed the Sabbath, they brought in the idea of the immortality of the soul. The study of the organism of nature and creationism was dismissed. And what began to take place into the very beginning of the Dark Ages, into the Middle Ages, science, medical science was actually repressed. They actually outlawed surgery. And in the 13th century, when the Black Plague happened, which decimated all of Europe, millions of people died, rudimentary medical procedures would have saved millions. Millions. But because the repression of medical science Millions lost their lives. Shortly after, you had the French Revolution, which rose up because of the things that were happening during the Dark Ages. And from the French Revolution, you have individuals that begin to show up, like Charles Darwin, individuals like Marx. And it began to lead to this sort of this steamroller of atheism, a militant atheism that existed. When you trace it all the way back, it took place because the early church dismissed the Sabbath. Nature and creationism and the study of the human organism was no longer seen as relevant. And that's why militant atheism today, whenever they want to mock Christianity, you know what they refer to? The Dark Ages. That's why the health message is extremely important. You want to know why? Because it shows that we care about medicine and people. Can you say amen to that? Let's continue. Here, if you go to any, white, any uh, sort of anti-LNG White, you'll find about these five consistent things. Ellen White was a plagiarist. Ellen White did not believe in justification by faith. Ellen White is above the Bible. Ellen White's visions were the result of a temporal lobe epilepsy. Ellen White's prophecies failed over and over again. You hear the exact same arguments. And by the way, I just want to say this. These arguments have been destroyed over and over and over and over again. Now, the reason I bring this up right now, because we need to understand something. The first section of great controversy. Does anybody know what that section is all about? Wait, you said it. I heard it over there. Can you say it a little louder? Inspiration of the Bible. I'm not talking about chapter one. When you actually read the intro of great controversy, Ellen White talks about the inspiration of the Bible. You want to know what's very interesting about that? Seventh-day Adventists begin to have an inter, uh, sort of a theology that was developed in our understanding of the Bible. Protestant Christianity looks at the Bible as being verbally inspired. In other words, every word is inspired. Seventh-day Adventists look at the Bible as being thought-inspired. Now, the reason I bring this up 
is because many Seventh-day Adventist apologists have actually fallen into a trap. You want to know why? Because we are defending thought inspiration through the category of verbal inspiration. Does that make sense? Yes, no? Yes. I want to say that one more time. We do not defend verbal inspiration of the Bible. We defend thought inspiration of the Bible. We believe that God inspired the prophets and then they wrote out the Bible. Does that make sense? And if you don't know that, read that intro to Great Controversy. She makes it very clear. Because we have an understanding of thought inspiration, we should also understand the same for the writings of Ellen G. White. However, the Protestant world, when we're trying to defend Ellen G. White, they are looking for a verbal inspired defense. And many Adventists have actually fallen into this trap of having to defend every single word Every single sentence pulled definitely out of context and it's caused us a lot of trouble. And if you don't understand what I mean now, please talk to me afterwards. But when it came down to being a plagiarist, did you know 1980, we all know the story, right? Adventist church hired a lawyer, a Catholic lawyer. Very interesting, a Catholic lawyer. Now we know this story, but what we don't know is actually how the Catholic lawyer was affected when he was going through the writings of the spirit of prophecy. Vincent L. Ramick, a prominent and respected copyright attorney in Washington, D.C., noticed this power. In 1981, in the midst of the newly reborn plagiarism charges, and by the way, Ellen White was operating within the 19th century sort of rules of English language. Did you know that if we were to take today's rules, do you know how many people would be guilty of plagiarism? Most English writers from Shakespeare all the way to Ed Edgar Allan Poe, they would be disqualified. That's a very interesting point. Look what, she, look what they says right here. Reborn plagiarism charges. The General Conference Legal Office, the Office of the General Counsel, used privately donated money to hire Ramick to research the case law and literary evidence to see whether Mrs. White was guilty of plagiarism, literacy, piracy, or copyright infringement. Ramick, a Roman Catholic, spent some, some 300 hours reviewing cases and reading the literary evidence. In addition to examining the critics' case, and by the way, found out that through some of his writings that when he was actually hired, he was reading D.M. Canwright books on Ellen White being a false prophet all the way up to the time and he admitted he was biased towards Ellen White when he began this study. Look what happens. In, in addition to examining the critics' case, he sampled what he called a great cross-section of her books, even reading the great controversy all the way through. A Roman Catholic all the way through. What do you think is going to happen? Let's continue. On legal matters, he concluded, if I had to be involved in such a legal case regarding the charges of plagiarism, piracy, and copyright infringement against Ellen White, I would, watch this, I would much rather appear as defense counsel for Ellen White than for the prosecution. There simply is no case. Can you say amen to that? But this is what happens right here. This is so awesome right here. What he says right here. The bottom line is, what really counts is the message of Mrs. White, not merely the mechanical writings of words, clauses, or sentences of Mrs. White. Theologians, these are his words, I am told, distinguish here between verbal inspiration and plenary inspiration. Too many of her critics have missed the boat altogether, and it's too bad, too. I personally, watch what he says, have been moved, deeply moved by those writings. 
I have been changed by them. I think I'm a better man today because of them. I wish that the critics could discover that. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You know what we need to do? People are questioning the spirit of prophecy. You know what I always tell people? Why don't you read it for yourself? Amen. One day I was actually sitting next to a Hindu lady on the way to coming back from India. Indians are always awkward when they discover that you're a pastor. It's kind of an awkward thing. So oftentimes when Indians are next to each other, a question will come up and it's, what do you do for a living? It's sort of a way of gauging where you're at. And so I know whenever that question comes up and I say, well, I'm a pastor, there's oftentimes this awkwardness, that very moment, where they'll stop talking and stare. And so I was, I was coming back on this plane, and this Indian lady, I was talking to her, she, I asked her what she's doing, she said this, and she says, what are you doing? It's an inevitable question. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And sure enough, the awkwardness came, and she stared at me. And we began a wonderful conversation, but you know what I told her? I said, have you ever read the Bible? She says, no. Then I said, how will you know that the Bible is true if you will never read it? And then I gave this illustration, I said, if you make some good curry, Jesus used sheeps and tax collectors. I can use curry, right? I said, if you make some good curry, how are other people going to know it's good if they don't try it out? I said, I really want to challenge you to pick up the Bible. And she agreed, and it was a wonderful conversation. God really blessed. Same way when it comes to the spirit of prophecy. You know what I always tell people? Hey, check it out for yourself. A lot of times when I'm baptizing people, they'll come across some Ellen G. White writings on anti-Ellen White websites and stuff like that. And they said, I'm not sure about the whole prophet thing. And you know what I do? I take out the book Desire of Ages, and I said, I want you to read just a few chapters of these, and I want you to tell me whether or not she's inspired. That's it. I remember one day, one brother, we were studying out the story of redemption. I gave that book to him, and he comes back to me, and he's like, and I didn't even tell him Ellen White was a prophet. We sat down, and he's like, man, this writing was so good. This woman's got to be inspired. I said, wait till you hear our new Bible study. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, God's word speaks for itself. Can you say amen to that? Oftentimes, we think to ourselves, well, wait a minute. I just need to, you know, defend every single thing. No, you don't. You just need to challenge people. And ladies and gentlemen, when the spoken word fails, the written word will prevail. Can you say amen to that? You know, I actually, this is sort of a, uh, a sound bite right now, I guess, for uh, something. It's this. Anybody know what this is? This is a DVD. It's a DVD. Can you tell it's a DVD? It's from my good friend Chad Cruiser and Fadia. Chad, can you guys raise your hand real quickly? Embarrassing them right now. Let me tell you something. I love giving these out, and I'll tell you why. When I come across people who are very intellectual, much more smarter than me, you know what I say? I say, hey, I want you to take this, I want you to watch it, and I want you to come back to me. I've taken different philosophy classes. I remember, never forgot, one day I was dealing with this philosophy teacher, and he told everybody in the class, he said this. He said, one day philosophy is going to solve all of humankind's problems. Now, I'm not going to let that pass. So I raised my hand, and I said... Well, I disagree with that. And he said, why? And I said, they've been attempting human philosophy for years, and it hasn't solved any problem. We're just worse. And he says, I want to talk to you after class. <laughs> so we talked after class. Wonderful discussion. Turns out his best friend was a Seventh-day Adventist. And when I recognized that, I realized God was striving with this man. Amen. And so I raced over to my car. I said, hey, I got something for you. I want you to watch this. And this is a Daniel 2 presentation. It's wonderful. If you haven't seen these, 
Ladies and gentlemen, you are missing a powerful tool in reaching intellectuals. Because when they take a good look at this, this is, has all PhDs and THDs that are talking, and it's done in an exciting way. They're short, powerful documentaries. You would be blown away. Over and over again, people are asking a bunch of questions, and when you take stuff like that and literature and you pass it out, you will find it is a powerful witness. Let's continue. This is what one man said. Actually, it was editor of a magazine. He wrote this after Ellen White died, when she died at her funeral. Mrs. White early manifested some of the gifts of prophecy. With the formation of the Church of the Seventh-day Adventists, she immediately developed an influence, and that influence was maintained to the hour of her death, a period of 70 years. Besides unusual talents as a preacher, she had organizational and administrative powers. These were all given to her church. It prospered and grew until it spread through many lands. Universities were founded, medical schools, hospitals, and schools for teachers and missionaries. Mrs. White was a remarkable woman. Had she lived in an earlier period of career Christianity and escaped the bigots and the fire, she would have most surely been canonized. She was of the flesh of which saints are made. You have a man who obviously is not a Seventh-day Adventist, and here he is, he's talking about Ellen G. White, and yet he is so blown away by her ministry. By the way, do you know D.M. Canwright, who was probably considered one of the greatest of enemies of Ellen White during her time, was at her funeral, and you know what he did? He wept and wept and wept, and it was recorded by his brother. He said, this woman was a godly woman. Even her enemies could not deny the fact the Spirit of God was moving in her life. Barna Group talked about this. Pastors under the age of 40 actually were twice as likely to mention books on prayer, talking about which books are influencing pastors, the purpose-driven life, and just one-sixth as likely to place the purpose-driven church in their top-ranked volumes. In fact, while one-third of all pastors were over 40 mentioned at least one book by Rick Warren, just 14% of those under 40 did so. The under 40 pastors, talking about young pastors, championed several authors who were not ranked highly by older church leaders. Leaders. Those authors included business consultant James Collins, seminary professor Tom Rainer, 19th century Seventh-day Adventist icon Ellen White. Can you say amen to that? This is coming from pastors 40 and younger throughout all of the United States, which books they are likely to read. One of my good friends, he actually works for a non-denominational church. One day he sent me a picture message, opened it up, and you know what it was? It was a picture of the pastor's library, and there was the spirit of prophecy laid out. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, they're there. And at the right time, their hearts are open, those seeds will take, go into good soil. Can you say amen to that? 1965, a German sociologist, Ermgard Simon, published her doctrinal dissertation in Munster, Westphalia. It dealt with Seventh-day Adventists and Ellen White. She said in part, she was without fear of men, courageous and consistent. And by the way, I actually, taking different classes at the local college, oftentimes I will have to take unusual classes. One of them was one about women's liberation. It's just an awkward class. I took the class, and you know what I did my final paper on? On somebody who was in support of women's rights. <laughs> Who do you think I'm talking about? I'm talking Ellen G. White, right? I aced that paper. It was praise the Lord for that, right? This woman can meet many different people on different avenues and angles. Can you say amen to that? 
from the activist to the sociologist. Look what she says right here after her study. Simon was unable to find adequate scientific explanation for Ellen White's visions and remarkable experiences. She held the opinion, now watch this, that had Ellen White been a Roman Catholic instead of a Seventh-day Adventist, she might well, very well be canonized in due course. We heard that before, but I love what she says next. In spite of her strong, yes, ecstatic union with God, she rarely lost the ground of reality. On the contrary, she tackled many practical questions in life. Undoubtedly, it was, her it was the established fact of her mystic vision of God, which worked as a powerful radiance on her fellow believers, a little new agey there, enabled her to be their leader without holding an official office in the church. She functioned as a messenger between God and the churches. Through her, the members had in part of the divine being. This explains the strong positions E.G. White had won among Adventists. In spite of her high position, E.G. White never fell for the temptation other founders of various movements have done, where they claimed to be elevated themselves above the weaknesses of human flesh and was a servant and did not claim the honor that belongs to God. I love how she ends. The Seventh-day Adventists still live on on the spirit of Ellen G. White, and only so far as this heritage lives on do the Adventists have a future. Those words are inspired, amen? Those words are inspired. Such a powerful comment that she makes right here. And by the way, one of my favorite things about Ellen G. White was not only that she was a prophet, she was very much human. Amen? amen? Sometimes people say, wait a minute, we shouldn't be talking about the fact she was a human. The fact she was very human makes me able to relate to this woman, amen? Now, when I was studying the Bible, I found several different things in the book of Proverbs. I want you to pay attention to this, okay? Look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 16, Proverbs 12, verse 18, Proverbs 13, verse 17, Proverbs 16, verse 24. The path of the just is like the what? Shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like what? Darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my hearings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and what? Health to all their what? So what do we understand about God's word? What does it bring? Yeah, take a good look at the highlighted words. That means I'm emphasizing that, right? What does God's word bring? Health to all flesh. Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one who speaks like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes what? So if you want to be wise, what should you be promoting, ladies and gentlemen? Health according to the Bible. If I don't speak with health, I'm speaking like with the piercing of a sword. I'm hurting people. Proverbs 13, verse 17. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings what? If I want to be a faithful ambassador, what should I bring, ladies and gentlemen? Health. Not hell. Proverbs 16, verse 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and what? Health to the what? Notice what the Solomon is saying right here over and over and over again. That if you want to be where God is at, or if you want to communicate the beautiful things of God, the, by, the byproduct of it will be health, healing. And when Jesus came to earth, you know what he brought? Health and healing. Amen? Now you take a good look in our world today, you will see that there is a craze when it comes to health. A lot of people are interested in health. Many people are just excited about the gym. In fact, I used to go to the gym, I still go to the gym. I, when I go to the gym, early in January, you know what you find out about gyms? 
they're full. But now you know what's happened in 2013 and since 2012, a precedent has actually taken place. Gyms are still staying full. You want to know why? Because many people are interested in health like never before. A lot of people are buying juicers. A lot of people are interested in blenders and Vitamixes. In fact, I got a Vitamix for my ordination. I said, I think I'm a Seventh-day Adventist finally. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, when you take a good look at what's happening, you find in the world today there's a craze when it even comes to food documentaries. Anybody ever seen a food documentary? Right? Sometimes we watch these food documentaries, we're more convinced of health than reading the councils of diets and foods, ladies and gentlemen. But here's the most remarkable thing. Right now in the world, there is an opportunity, a special opportunity for God's people, and that is to bring a message of what? Health. You know what's interesting? You go on the corners where I live, we actually have two pharmacies right next to each other. Walgreens and CVS. Now when you go in those stores, they're fairly empty. It's not like they make candy bars or they sell candy bars and it keeps them in business. Where do those places find their most business? You go to the back of the store and what do you find? A bunch of people lined up, you find pharmacies. Now the reason I bring that up is because CVS and Walgreens and Rite Aid can all set up shop next to each other and there's no competition. Why? Because there's many product, much product to sell. Ladies and gentlemen, there are a lot of people right now who are sick and dying. The world is a vast Lazarus house. People are interested in health. Many people recognize medicine is not doing its job anymore. And medicine has become a big business. And so a lot of people are looking for natural alternatives. People are looking for ways to find health. And right now, Seventh-day Adventists have begun a special opportunity when it comes down to health. And people are discovering many principles that were originally found in the spirit of prophecy by individuals who were inspired by the spirit of prophecy. Paul Harvey, we talked a little bit about Paul Harvey. He said this, and by the way, he was considered one of the, the greatest journalists of all time. Perhaps we should reread what she has taught. The oil as eaten in the olive is far preferable to the animal oil or fat. Today we know about cholesterol. She knew fine flour, white bread is lacking nutritive elements to be found in bread made from whole wheat. She wrote, do not eat largely of salt. Now we know we should keep the sodium intake low. We have come to accept the wisdom of such an advice so completely that it is difficult for us to recognize or realize how revolutionary her theories were almost a century ago. Ladies and gentlemen, this is powerful stuff. You have a non-Adventist who's taking a good look at the writings of Ellen G. White and says she was talking about stuff well advanced of the culture of that time. This is very interesting. The Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America, originally published in September 2004, covers the significant events, inventions, and social movements that have shaped the way Americans view, prepare, and consume food and drink. Entries range across historical periods that trends that characterize them, from the extravagant feast of the Gilded Age to the diet fads of the 90s. This thoroughly updated new edition captures the shifting American perspective on food and ensures that this title is both the most authoritative and the most current reference work on American cuisine. American cuisine. And you'll find right there in that volume this comment. No single individual influenced American eating habits during the early 10th, 20th century more than Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. 
When you take a good look at it, here you have a secular book talking about those that have altered diet fats in society, and it lists John Harvey Kellogg, a great contributor to the Seventh-day Adventist movement, but one of its biggest troublemakers, right? Every time I see him, I'm like, he looks like Colonel Sanders. Okay. John Harvey Kellogg, watch what it says. John Harvey Kellogg deserves more than any other person to be called the father of natural health. In fact, when you take a good look at many of these uh, natural diets or natural healthy lifestyle websites, you will find many times they list John Harvey Kellogg as a powerful contributor. Now, we know a little bit about John Harvey Kellogg, but what many people don't know about is this particular interview he had in 1913 where he revealed something. David Paulson, MD, about the year 1913, reported a conversation that he had with Dr. John Harvey Kellogg a number of years earlier. Introductory to the following statement, it should be mentioned that in the late 19th century, John Harvey Kellogg, Harvey Kellogg, MD, was recognized as a world leader in several areas of medical practice. Dr. Kellogg asked me in New York City 22 years ago if I knew how it was that in the Battle Creek Sanitarium was able to keep five years ahead of the medical profession. I did not know. Then he told me. He said that when a new thing is brought out in the medical world, he knew from his knowledge of the spirit of prophecy, the writings of Ellen White, whether it belonged in our system or not. If it did, he instantly adopted it and advertised it while the rest of the doctors were slowly feeling their way. And when they finally adopted it, had five year, he had five years to start on them. On the other hand, when the medical profession was swept off their feet by some new fad, if it did not fit the light we had received, he simply did not touch it. When the doctors finally discovered their mistake, they wondered how it came that Dr. Kellogg did not get caught. You have the woman, Ellen White, who actually paid for his medical college. And this individual really shaped diet fads throughout the 19th century. And ladies and gentlemen, it's so awesome when you take a good look at the woman who inspired this man, yet the world doesn't know. Do you know who this individual is? Clive McKay, PhD, American biochemist, nutritionist, gerontologist, and professor of animal husbandry at Cornell University from 1927 to 1963. Lived a short life, but very influential when it came to nutrition. Was actually mocked many times as he was discovering powerful things when it came to food and diet. He wrote some of these books, the Cornell Bread Book, where he actually talks about having nutrition in bread. Can you actually think about that? Nutrition in bread. That may sound very astounding to some people. Clyde McKay also wrote notes on his history of nutrition research. This individual, when he came across the writings of Ellen White, was so blown away. Look what he says. In the first place, her basic concepts about the relation between diet and health have been verified in an unusual degree by scientific advances of the past decades. In the second place, everyone who attempts to teach nutrition can hardly conceive of a leadership such as that of Mrs. White that was able to induce a substantial number of people to improve their diet. In the third place, one can only speculate about the large number of sufferers during the past century who could have been proved health if they had accepted the teachings of Mrs. White. Finally, one can wonder how to make her teachings more widely known. In spite of the fact that the works of Mrs. White were written long before the advent of modern scientific nutrition, watch what he says right here emphatically, no better overall guide is available today. Now, you may think, okay, that's really great he says that, but really, you don't know who Clyde McKay is. Some of you don't know who he is, so it's like, it's not that impressive. 
Ladies and gentlemen, his last doctrinal student was T. Colin Campbell. That was his last doctrinal student who wrote the book China Study and was the primary presenter in Forks Over Knives. In fact, I was looking at the history. When T. Colin Campbell was the last doctrinal student of Clive McKay, he wanted to go into a different direction. Clive McKay kept urging him, go into nutrition, go into nutrition, go into nutrition. And so what T. Colin Campbell began, he began a lifetime study of nutrition. He got his PhD in nutrition, biochemistry, and microbiology in 1961. He was the primary doctor, or you should say presenter, in Forks Over Knives, and was also part of its very construction that has revolutionized much of diet today in America. He wrote this book called The China Study. Many people accept The China Study as a, a very powerful authority when it comes to research on nutrition. Vegans and vegetarians typically elect to follow the diet for health reasons. In his book called The China Study, American biochemist T. Colin Campbell wrote, by any number of measures, America's health is failing. We spend far more per capita on healthcare than any other society in the world. Yet two thirds of Americans are overweight and over 15 million Americans have diabetes, a number that has been rising rapidly. Very interesting. And this was essentially the, the primary conclusion of China study. The findings, the people who ate the most animal-based foods got the most chronic diseases. Ladies and gentlemen, we've heard this before. People who ate the most plant-based foods were the healthiest and tended to avoid chronic disease. These results could not be ignored. T. Colin Campbell helped inspire other individuals, prominent individuals like Bill Clinton. He inspired other individuals too, as well as Mike Tyson. I was like watching this documentary, Mike Tyson, and he was like, man, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian now. He was just talking like that. And he's like, I wish I did this earlier, you know? And so it's very interesting how even the most unusual people were transformed when you take a good look at other individuals who were touched by her writings. In fact, this was a very interesting interview that T. Colin Campbell had on Vegan Radio 2006. What a name, Vegan Radio 2006. The man, the host was Steve Prusak, and this is not an Adventist at all. Watch where the conversation goes. T. Colin Campbell talking about his son. My son, by the way, Tom, who was trained in the theater at Cornell University and was actually an aspiring actor in Chicago, doing really quite well, but he wasn't making much money. He came back to work with me on. He was very good in communication and writing, so forth. He came back to work with me on the book. He became eventually so impressed over the time we were working together with all of this information, he's now just starting medical school this next month. Steve Prusak, oh wow, T. Colin Campbell. And he's really now intending to practice a very different kind of medicine than what has been traditionally practiced. He and others call it lifestyle medicine. You see, I love when people take Adventist terms that have been around for 100 years and they say, lifestyle. You ever heard of a lifestyle medication? Like, yeah. You know, I was born and raised a Hindu. I heard about potlucks well before I came an Adventist. And people were like, do you know what a potluck is? Yes. It's just like that when the world is now discovering terminology that we as Adventists have been using for a long time. The rocks are crying out. The rocks are crying out. Amen. 
Amen. Look what he says right here. I might, well po I might point out, incidentally, that there is a religious group in this country. Guess who he's about to talk about? A Christian-based group called Seventh-day Adventists who have really taken health very seriously. I'm very impressed with what they do. They have a number of hospitals in the country. They have a medical school, quite frankly, a good and rather old medical school in Loma Linda, California. I've spoken to a number of these groups, and I hope that their message, and they get more opportunity to tell what, in fact, they know. But they have started this concept of lifestyle medicine, and I really like it a lot. I think it can be described best as just getting doctors to think more about it. When I have a patient to work with, spend a little bit more time with them. That's always helpful, of course, but start talking to them first. And watch where the conversation starts going right here. Interesting. Foremost, about the role of diet and lifestyle in solving our problems and taking, talking, or should be taking that as the first course. The first approach to resolving problems. And so Tom is not an Adventist, and I'm not either yet. Amen? But I must tell you that I'm really impressed with what that community does with respect to health. Is Tom going to go to the school here in California? Is that the... No. Unfortunately, there's no, almost no medical schools that really offer this kind of program. The Loma Linda School of Medicine, or School of Public Health, actually in Loma Linda, California, is probably best at promoting the idea, and there's some other medical schools. Generally, it's in the School of Public Health where they're beginning to think a little more along these lines. I mean, these are individuals at Buffalo, I know, who are certainly interested in this. For example, as it is true, also in some medical schools, too. The medical school here at Buffalo, as I understand, has just formed a new department that is going to give more emphasis to this, and I love what Steve Prusak says, truly well, the seeds have been planted. Hopefully the consciousness will begin to change. And ladies and gentlemen, the revolution of health has begun. Nathan Pritikin, does anybody know who he is? Very well known in the natural health world as well. Powerful revolution when it came to health. He was actually mocked by many of his associates and colleagues. Here was an interview that was done by actually an Adventist magazine. Mr. Pritikin, your ideas of nutrition and health are quite similar in many respects to those of Seventh-day Adventists. Are you aware of the Adventist health writings, many of them which are more than a century old? Watch what he says. You mean the writings of Ellen G. White? <laughs> One sentence he says what that guy said in a paragraph. Yes, what we call our health message is largely based on her counsel. Watch what he says. I have read all her books dealing with health topics. Have you read all her books dealing with health topics yet? <laughs> Rebuke. Let's keep going. <laughs> Would you care to comment on the concept she presents, which we Adventists, unfortunately, have not observed as closely as we should? I feel that if you Adventists had followed the teachings in these books, you would be a much healthier group. I think that the Adventist dietary plan is very close to our nutritional recommendations. It was marvelous that this woman was able to write all that she did without any scientific background. Watch what he says, or the questioner says. Of course, we believe she was inspired. She had to have been inspired. I do not know where she could have gotten the information herself. She certainly did a tremendous job for her time. As Adventists, the questioner says, we believe God is the creator of our bodies. Now you will watch how the questioner starts actually trying to witness to him. It's very funny. As Adventists, we believe that God is the creator of our bodies, that we have not just evolved, that our bodies are priceless and wonderful mechanisms. Only a mastermind could have planned all the intricate workings of it. Watch what he says. The body is a wonderful machine that no one understands completely. Questioner, I'm sure that you have been associated closely with Adventists on your staff. You know that our dietary plan is based on the original diet given to man as recorded in Genesis. Now, this is where Pritikin actually has some misunderstanding of the Bible. According to Genesis, man can eat animal protein. 
True, but this was not the original diet. Meat eating was permitted only after the flood when all vegetation was destroyed. The original diet in the Garden of Eden given to man was the diet that you, should have, you have been advocating. Every herb bearing seed and every tree in the, which is in the fruit of the tree yielding seed. These are the grains, fruits, and nuts. You will be interested in the statement made by Mrs. White regarding the addition of meat to the diet. She stated that God permitted the post-Diluvian world to eat the flesh of animals in order to shorten their wicked lives. This no doubt refers to degenerated processes processes of atherosclerosis caused by the high fat and protein diet. Prior to the flood, the recorded age of man was more than 900 years. Now watch what he says. That is interesting. For animal products have certainly caused degenerative diseases. Very interesting. You see a man who's really actually, he was being exposed to her writings. He read everything and actually it was shaping some of his thinking. Nathan Pritikin of the Pritikin Diet said, 1979, I think that if you want to get back to the, and watch what he says, of the originator of the proper diet, you have to go back to Ellen White. She laid the guidelines that are unfortunately are not being adhered to as strictly as they should be. This individual had one student he was mentoring. Some of you may know who this individual is. John McDougall. The man who wrote the starch diet, digestive tune-up, and by the way, he places an emphasis on the GI tract, the digestive system. You want to ask who else does? Who are we talking about today, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> We're not talking about Mark Finley, right? <laughs> Ellen White, you read Councils on Diets and Foods, she stresses the digestive system over and over and over and over and over again. This individual has actually got into this Starch Solution book is well known in the world around him. He actually wrote the book Starch Solution, McDougall's Diet, and other books as well. What's very interesting, he said this on his website, there are only two people in my lifetime whose words of wisdom I eagerly awaited, and one of them was Nathan Pritikin. During my final year of internal medicine residency at the University of Hawaii in 1978, I was given a set of audio tape lectures. I felt a sense of relief as I listened and realized someone else had come to similar conclusions to those that I have reached during my time as a sugar plantation doctor on the Big Island of Hawaii between 1973 and 1976. I deeply regret his talking about Pritikin, untimely death in 1985 at age 69. The world would have been a better place if, they, if he had survived another decade or two. For one, Dr. Atkins' new diet revolution would have never become as big as it did in the 2000s. The world would have never heard of the most popular diets these days, the low-carb paleo diets. His wisdom and strength would have stopped this nutritional nonsense before it ever got started. We would not be suffering the current U.S. financial fiasco caused in large part by the world's health care crisis ever known. People in the United States would not be known as they are today for being less healthy, having more chronic disease and disability, and dying at a younger age than people living in other wealthy nations. Very interesting. You ever heard of this? How many people have actually watched this? If you're not sure about juicing and you need some motivation, I highly recommend you watch this. You'll at least have some motivation for three or four days. Right? Anybody ever juiced? Okay, let me just tell you something. This is confession time. I actually was juicing about three or four years ago. And I wasn't juicing very much, but I bought a juicer. I had done some research. And I was like, I'm going to go juice for three or four days. I remember I was being mocked by many people. One individual mocked me so much that she now juices about once a month. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to stay ahead of the times. Amen? I'm just calling out the mockers and ridiculers right now. <laughs> Fat 
sick and nearly dead, right? We know about this man who went on this juice diet for many days. Now, I'm not recommending that. You need to consult your doctors just to play it safe. Amen? We all say just to keep ourselves out of trouble. All right. Fat, sick, and nearly dead. And this got a lot of people interested in juicing. He had two primary uh, people who were inspiring him. Dr. Foreman, Dr. Joel Foreman. Does anybody know who that old buff old man is? Jack Lane. Do you know Dr. Furman quotes more from Adventist study groups than any other study groups? Do you know who Jack Lane is? He was an Adventist. He was the son of an Adventist. You know how I know this? My senior pastor, Keith Mulligan, his mom went to his church. And she would always be there every Sabbath morning. And sometimes Jack Lane would show up. You see, when Jack Lane was younger, his mom was the only Adventist, you know, in his family. And she definitely stressed health, very rigid, and sometimes he joked about that. He actually went to a seminar by Paul Bragg. Paul Bragg's not an Adventist, but the foundation of good, healthy living was already laid into him that propelled him on this journey. And this is what's so interesting. When you take a good look at the people who were inspired, who went out and made these great health, part of these health movements, they were inspired when you go all the way back to the roots, ladies and gentlemen. When God gave us the writings of Ellen G. White that focused on health, it planted a seed in this world. A seed that would eventually lead to a revolution. That would lead people to start acting more healthy. And people who are to stop dying so young. People to start feeling better. And ladies and gentlemen, God planted those seeds seeds in 1863. Can you say amen to that? Does anybody know what that is? Come on, Adventists. We got to know what that is. We eat it like every Sabbath. What is that? Well, not every Sabbath. Wednesdays, right? What is that? It's a garden burger. Right? Here's the, the one who came up with the garden burger, Paul Winner. He is the originator of the Garden Burger. The Garden Burger that many people eat and love, especially Adventists, right? Now, what's very interesting, he is not an Adventist. But if you go onto his website, you'll find his biography. Paul Winter, I really haven't had any health problems since I was 17. When I was about 16 or 17, I started reading books on health and nutrition like Paul Bragg's The Miracle Fasting. Now watch what he says, Ellen B. White. That's exactly how it reads. He actually got the name wrong, but that's okay. I want to show how, when this man put this up there, I mean, this is what he knew, Ellen B. White. <laughs> writer for the Adventist church. Now watch what he says. I started realizing that there was a real connection between what you put in your mouth and what you did not put in your mouth between your health and how you felt. So I immediately changed everything about my diet. He became a partner with Paul Bragg. Ladies and gentlemen, when you take a good look at even the foods that much of the natural people are interested in health and you know natural healing, much of the foods are eating have been inspired as well. Can you say amen to that? Here's something that took place actually about two years ago. Ellen G. White was actually honored in Brazil. And uh, she was part of this sort of uh, opening of this university, a certain branch of this university, Sao Paulo. Now what's also interesting is that the, uh, she says right there, let me pull this little clicker thing up right there, okay. Here was the director. During the ceremony, the director of National Center of Memory in Brazil, Adventist Renato Stencel shared aspects of the biography and work of Ellen White. He said that much of White's writings concerned health principles. The medical health officer of the municipality, 
municipality of Sao Paulo, Jorge Eduardo, identified works published by the author that promoted sustainable, sustainable development, a culture of peace, and health preservation. Audience members at the ceremony each received a copy of the book, The Science of Healing. What book do you think The Science of Healing is? It's the Ministry of Healing, right? It just sounds a little bit more scientific, right? Presented by the Brazil Publishing House. This woman is being honored all over the world, ladies and gentlemen, and we need to take advantage that God has given us these writings. Can you say amen to that? Operation White Coat. Does anybody know what a white coat is? Okay, just a few of you. Now I'm going to share a very strange and true story with you. I actually got this book. This book I was on Amazon. It was called 63 Documents the Government Doesn't Want You to Know About. Now you're thinking to yourself, why did you get a book like that? That was just interesting, okay? And what this book was about was de recently declassified government documents, okay? I got this book. I didn't read it for weeks. It was just sitting on my counter. 63 documents the government doesn't want you to know about. Two months later, I pick up the book one day and I open it up and it said Adventist. I remember that night, I closed the book and I was like, <laughs> imagine if you got a book, you don't pick up for two months and you open it up and it says Adventist on it. Would you be a little scared? I was like, oh my goodness, who is watching me? Turns out there was a recently declassified government document that was describing things that took place during the wars in the past. There was a particular operation that the government was behind. It was something called Operation White Coat. And what they did uh, during World War II, I believe it was, they tested on Seventh-day Adventists. And what they tested on them was diseases, biological warfare. You see, a lot of the older Adventists know about this, but the new generations don't know about this. And hundreds of Adventists were actually tested. Now, supposedly, the government says that the hierarchy was behind this, they were okay with it, but then other reports said that the hierarchy was manipulated. Many of the soldiers that were being tested, Adventist soldiers, did not know what was taking place. And what they did not know, many of them had came out changed. Many of them were never the same people. Just in my church alone, I had two or three people come up to me when I was talking about Operation White Coat, and they said, my uncle was part of Operation White Coat. He never returned the same. Others died. Anyone who was part of these things never came back the same. But what's so interesting is that a lot of Adventists do not know about the contribution. This is what they say right here. The first task for the scientists was to find people willing to be infected by pathogens that could make them very sick. They found them in the followers of Seventh-day Adventist faith. Although willing to serve their country when drafted, the Adventists refused to bear arms. As a result, many of them became medics. Now the U.S. was offering recruits an opportunity to help in a very different manner, to volunteer for a biological test as a way of satisfying their military obligation. When contacted in 1954, the Adventist hierarchy readily agreed to this plan. Disagree? For Camp Dietrich scientists, church members were a model test population. Since most of them were in excellent what? Health. They actually found in Adventists uh, two characteristics. They were patriotic and they were very healthy. And that's why they tested on them. Since most of them were in excellent health and they neither drank, smoked, or used caffeine. Many of these diseases were tested on them and many of them are not around today. 
because of the contribution that Seventh-day Adventist soldiers made during that time. There's much more than this, ladies and gentlemen. Many things, vaccines developed during this program resulted in the control of disease and decreased mortality. They were testing biological warfare on them. They were testing vaccines. They were testing diseases upon hundreds of Seventh-day Adventists specifically targeted because of their patriotism and their health. And as I said before, many of them don't even like to talk about it because of the things that took place. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen I highly recommend to you, if you know a white coat, we may not have any white coats here, but if you know a white coat, give him your highest respect. Because many people in the world do not know the contribution that Seventh-day Adventists made during those wars. In fact, watch what one doctor said. Approximately 2,300 Seventh-day Adventist Army veterans served as white coat, white coat volunteers. Look what he says. The effects of the program have been felt from the remote jungles of Latin America to the desert sands of the Middle East to the reaches of outer space. Said doctors in the book For God and Country, Operation White Coat. Ladies and gentlemen, when you take a good look over and over again, the contribution that Seventh-day Adventists have made to this world because of the health message, due in part to the writings of Ellen G. White, have impacted the world over and over again. And right now, media is jumping on this. Seventh-day Adventists actually have a very special opportunity. You know who the longest living people on earth are right now? Well, we say Seventh-day Adventists, right? Suppose there's two other groups in competition. But you know what I always tell people when I'm witnessing? Like, if I'm talking to somebody, I'll, be up, I'll go up to them, I'll be like, we're talking about health. And I said, by the way, do you know who the longest living people on earth are? And they're like, who? I go, Seventh-day Adventists. You've got to check them out. They're doing something different. People are so interested. And you've got to work that right now while you get it, ladies and gentlemen. You work it. I never forgot, we had a health fair at my church. I was passing out some literature at Jamba Juice. A lot of Adventists go to Jamba Juice, right? Go to Jamba Juice. Lady walks out, starts talking about health, and I said, hey, you want to find out about the longest living people and how they are living so long? Go to this health fair. She's like, really? Right now, people are interested in health. Just about five, ten years ago, if you did an evangelistic series, when it came right down to the health message, people would cry out, oh, we don't believe in those laws anymore. Now nobody disagrees with it. I've done evangelistic series from the last five years. I knew what it was like. I knew about the objections. Now people, when I'm crossing the health message, they're just like, amen, that's right. That's absolutely correct. You're ahead of the time. You're saying it. That's how it is. Why? Because scientific research has fully vindicated the health message. And that's why no one actually argues against it. This is the time that God is calling us to actually share these beautiful messages. Do you know what the last verse of Daniel chapter 1 says? There really is a cricket I'm hearing. Is that you? That's good. I need to take you with me wherever I go. What is the last verse of Daniel chapter 1? You've never read the book of Daniel? <laughs> Can you say it a little louder? Can you say it a little louder? What's the last verse of Daniel chapter 1? You don't have to tell me it's okay. What, what does it say? What's the gist of it? But it's after that, actually. It's right after that. That's exactly right. The last thing Daniel chapter 1 talks about Daniel's longevity. By the way, do you know there was somebody else who was so blown away by the health message? Pharaoh. 
Do you remember when Pharaoh came across Jacob? Do you remember the first thing Jake, Pharaoh said to Jacob? What's, he, he said, how old are you? He was so blown away of how old Jacob was, and he was still living because the Egyptians were dying off early. And then when he sees Jacob, he's just like, how old are you? <laughs> he was so surprised at the longevity of the Israelites. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, people are shocked and surprised when they see a hundred-year-old Adventist playing basketball. <laughs> right now, people are asking questions, and this is the time for God's people to rise up and share these beautiful messages and lead them to the cross of Calvary and prepare them for the second coming of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Over and over again, you see again, Huffington Post, and many of these articles are talking about the life expectancy of Seventh-day Adventists. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a time for us to really rise up and take advantage of this. You know what's really funny? It says that Adventists live seven to ten years longer, but what they don't take into account is pastors. When you're actually a pastor, you lose four years of your life. So I only get three years out of this. Some of you got that, some of you didn't. That's okay. Secret of long life right here. The Seventh-day Adventist church, born during the era of 19th century health reforms that popularized organized vegetarianism, the graham cracker, and breakfast cereals, has always been preached and practiced a message of health. It expressly forbids smoking, alcohol, consumption, eating biblically unclean clean foods, such as rich foods, caffeinated drinks, and stimulating condiments. Grains, fruits, and nuts, and vegetables constitute the diet chosen for us by our creator, wrote Ellen White, in early figure who helped shape the Adventist church. And by the way, I want to say this as emphatically as I can. Seventh-day Adventism is fast becoming a medical term. It used to be just associated as a denominational name of a church group. But now it is fast being associated with optimal health and healing. Ladies and gentlemen, when people hear about Seventh-day Adventists, you know what they say? Oh, you guys are the people who are living long. You guys are the healthy people. And this is the time where we can share the messages that we have. Can you say amen to that? The Lord will make you the what? Head and not the what? Tail. You shall be above only. Excuse me, read the rest of that. And not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. Watch what she says right here. Evangelism 5.23. We're coming down right to the end. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. Amen. That's powerful. And something that was really dawning on me. When you actually take a good, at, good look at Elijah and Elisha, you see Elijah being a public rebuker of sins. And Elisha came on the uh, scene. Ellen White says he was a prophet of peace and of healing. His ministry was more about personal contact with people. When you take a good look at Elisha, he was praying for a double portion of the Holy Spirit, more of the Holy Spirit. When you take a good look at John the Baptist, he was a public rebuker of sins, didn't do any miracles. But then who came after him? Jesus. And Jesus' ministry was focused on personal uh, experiences and what? Healing. When you take a good look at the Seventh-day Adventist church, right now when it first started off, it was very public. But now we are fast moving towards personalized healing and help. The more we're praying for the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, the ministry of the church is going to change. And we need to understand this that our greatest impact will be not so much in the public arena, but as we connect with people one-on-one. -on -one. 
and share the beautiful messages of health and healing and lead them to the Savior. And there's more to healing than just physical healing. Amen? There's emotional healing. And it's the whole spectrum and gambit God is calling us to examine and use as a way to reach people in this world. These are the times that we are living in and God is calling us to get ready. These are the times where God is telling us that we need to use this message to reach for people, reach out to the world. And the more we're praying for the Holy Spirit, like Elisha, we should not be surprised that God is opening us, opening up more doors for us to share the messages of health because that is the pattern of Scripture, ladies and gentlemen. That is the pattern of Scripture. Amen. And we're going to be surprised by the latter rain and how God is opening up opportunities for us to witness and communicate to people the beautiful message of healing and help in the gospel. Amen? Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, how many people want to share the writings of Ellen G. White and want to study them out and just praise God for the beautiful things that we have? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much. Thank you, God, for the gifts you've given to us. Forgive us, Lord, for being so selfish and hoarding these beautiful things that are meant to be shared. God, we want to pray for more of the Holy Spirit, like Elisha, a double portion of the Spirit. And we pray, God, that you'd open up doors for us to minister, whether they be public or personal. Lord, help us just to remember it's about leading them to Jesus. Bless each person, God. May they know that you've spoken to them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.